Hello, welcome to Black Armada Tales, an actual play podcast. My name is Josh Fox. My pronouns are he and him. And with me, in alphabetical order, starting from the beginning of the alphabet, are... Becky Anderson. My pronouns are she and her. Ed Tomlinson. My pronouns are he, him. Nick Bate. My pronouns are he, him. And tonight I'm playing Jonathan Cochran. Sue Elliott. My pronouns are she, her. What are we playing, Josh? playing the second edition of that finest and most terrifying game, Lovecraft-esque. <laughs> <laughs> right. I believe I am narrating a scene with young Nicholas. Is your name Nicholas, Nick, or are you? is Nick your... Home? No, my name is indeed Nicholas. Okay, just so I know. If I ever need to tell you off. <laughs> right, so I actually have to decide what this scene's going to be about, don't I? And uh, my remaining card is not very good, so I'm going to have to build on one of our existing clues. I think I've got an idea. So one of the things that the witness can do at the end of a scene, and I, I have just finished being the witness, so I can do this as the end of my last scene, is say where they want to go next. And where I want the witness to go next, I want them to go and investigate. I want them to go and find the autopsy of Dr. Mason because of, you know he's trying to figure out what's going on to help de-implicate Davy. If you were Jonathan Cochran and you wanted to do that, what actually would you do? Where would you go? Well, as it just so happens, I am Jonathan Cochran. Yes. And? I also am Jonathan Cochran. <laughs> <laughs> so you should have the answer yourself. I know. Strange, isn't it? Paradoxically. How would I go about figuring out where the... I mean, it, I was at the police station just before, right? It's the coroner that does it, is it? Yeah, uh, well, I assume so. Well, I mean, this is a small town in Victorian England, so it probably could be the barber, yeah. <laughs> the local seems It could be. There could be a local doctor, right? Yeah, probably a doctor. Undertaker? I think Undertaker's not a bad shout. Ooh, Undertaker. That was that was Ed's suggestion. Just, but I'm not taking any. <laughs> Sorry, I, I I must have been so taken by something someone else said that I didn't hear you say it. Good idea, Sue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's you're genius. a genius. You were genius. Well, I, I tell you what, maybe there's something equivalent to a morgue. They probably, when somebody dies, they're going to take him to somewhere that can be kept cold, so it won't. The body won't decay too quickly. I'm sure that was known of at the time. So perhaps there's a mortuary at where would that be? Like a local hospital? Yeah, or or again a doctor, doctors, local doctors, maybe depends. Okay, so I think what happens? I think uh, Jonathan looks up where the well, perhaps he asks the hotel front desk to find for him where the local doctors are. And does a little turn around town, see if you work out which one's got the mortuary attached to it. That's exactly what I'd do. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, so you you've, you come to the mortuary, which is attached to this doctor's surgery. I'm going to say the surgery is uh, on a clifftop overlooking the old lighthouse in fact so you've climbed up these steps 
wending your way through the town to get to the doctor's surgery. It's Dr. Dr. Cranston. Uh, it's Dr. Cranston, and he's got a kind of nice seaside cottage kind of vibe for the actual doctor's surgery. But there is a set of stairs down the side which goes kind of into what looks like it must be a cellar because there's kind of a door that's under the under the house. Out of curiosity, is there a is there a plaque on the house that 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 announces that this is Doctor Cranston? And if so, I may as well just jump to the actual question I'm asking. If so, is Doctor Cranston a member of the Brotherhood of Physicians? Oh, that's an excellent question and one that needs to be asked. So, firstly. The the cottage has two doors. It has a front door, which has a, just a number on it. And then there's another door around the side, you see, which has got the the plaque on it announcing Dr. Dr. Cranston, whatever it would say, letters after his name, I guess. And so you're what you're really asking is, I've looked at this book about the Brotherhood of Physicians. Do I remember him being in it? Or have you actually got the book with you? I, I think I have got the book with me, although... Although now that I think about it, I couldn't tell you exactly when I picked it up and put it in my jacket pocket. I just must have done at some stage in the morning. Sure. Okay. Now is Dr. Cranston a member? I'll say yes. So not only a member, as in it says so on the door, but also appears in a photograph alongside Mason. Well, a, a person appears. I haven't oh, met him yet. Of course, because your book is from 16-whatever. 32? Yeah, sure. Let's say let's say it, he both. Yeah, <laughs> excellent. Okay, I'm going to knock on the door that has a number on it. All right, fine. Right, who have we got here? I think it will be so the, the door will be answered by a woman, um, sort of middle aged woman in a conservative looking outfit, and she. She sort of looks you up and down and says, can I help you? I say yes. Uh, uh, good afternoon, M- Mrs. Cranston. Yes, that's right. Can I help you? It's a p- pleasure to meet you, Jonathan Cochran. Uh, up from London. I- I- in any case, is your husband around by any chance? He's seeing patients at the moment. Let me just... And I'll pull the book out from my jacket pocket and I'll flip it open to the photograph quickly so trying to cover up you know what the book is and find Cranston in the photo and turn it and point it to 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 Mrs Cranston and say forgive me is this your husband she looks at uh, the book looks back up at you then looks at the book again and says that is an uncanny resemblance but I don't believe it can be hmm yes okay well um it's a matter of some urgency. I, I, I believe he's, uh, well, at least I hope, he's conducting uh, some sort of autopsy. He's keeping a body, a Dr. Mason, recently killed. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Dr. Excellent. I'd love to see it. You'd love to see the body? Well, of, yes, of course. A, a, a young local man has been implicated in his murder, and I, I do believe he's completely innocent. Yes, indeed, of course. Well, I... You, you, I don't believe that just anybody can go and see the body, I'm afraid, young man. Ma'am, I am not just anybody. Oh, no, indeed, but nevertheless, be that as it may, uh, it is not permissible for you to see the body. Have you 
are you working with the police, perhaps? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, I am. I see. I'm, well, I'm helping them to clear Davy's name, of course. Ah. Hmm. She she looks a bit perplexed and concerned about this. I think Jonathan probably starts looking perplexed and concerned as well. Like, this is not going how he particularly envisaged, envisaged it would go. What did you say your name was? Jonathan Cochran. Jonathan Cochran. Ah. It's a pleasure to meet you. I, I can speak with your husband, if that would be easier. No, that won't be necessary. I'll I'll take you down to, to see the body. That's fine. Ah, excellent. And she... What she does is she turns back into the house and reaches over to a board on the wall, which has a number of hooks on it. It also has notices and things. And on one of the hooks, there are are a number of keys on different hooks. She takes a key off one of the hooks and then comes out of the front door and walks round to the side with you, where she uses the key to open the door to the mortuary. Inside, the mortuary is cold a kind of clammy feeling actually and strangely quiet i suppose not strangely it's the quiet of the uh, of a room that is filled with only one dead person did we i think we established there is electricity did we yeah not in every house not i think common but yeah but he's the he's the town's equivalent of a coroner he's probably got electricity she flips on a light and yeah, you'll see the room once lit up reveals a a room that's sort of laid out a bit like a laboratory, I suppose. It's got cupboards, it's got flasks and tools and things, and it's it's got a slab on which is a human shape with a sheet draped over it. This is maybe a slightly challenging moment for Jonathan. In in my head, at least, he's he's. He's got a mission now, and this is an opportunity for him to set the world right again. But this is the moment at which it's occurring to him that he has, in fact, asked to see a dead body. It's not the first one he's seen since he came here, but he didn't particularly enjoy the last one, frankly. But there's probably his, he, there's probably, his internal monologue probably goes, um, steal yourself, Jonathan. There's important work to do. Yes. Well, uh, Mrs. Cranston will take a couple of steps into the room and she says well here you are ah uh yes um okay yes uh and jonathan steps hesitantly and then strides over to the slab and folds starts folding down the sheet from what looks like it's the head and says to mrs cranston do you Observe while your husband's looking over the body? Bodies? I think that your words are echo unpleasantly around the room, but you don't get an answer because as you say, as you turn to look at her and to say those words, you see the door close and you hear the key turn in the lock. I think Jonathan probably panics a little bit and and shouts... Mrs. Cranston, what? Come back! And he rushes over to the door and rattles the the handle. Yeah, it's quite a sturdy door. It's almost as if someone didn't want people to be able to get in or out of this place. <laughs> Which is a bit... Well, 
was going to say it's a bit of a worry, but maybe you don't want people stealing bodies. Well, probably shout, I say Mrs. Cranston one more time up through the, and then turn back around and look for another way out of the room. Is there a staircase leading up into the house or? No, there isn't. There is there's a little ventilation thing, a vent, but it's it is little. I mean, you couldn't fit a person through it. Um, that's it. I mean, you're under the ground, so hmm. unless you've got a pick and shovel, I left it at home. Yeah, <laughs> at least you got your book, though, right? I do have my book. Yeah, I've got some light reading. I guess, <laughs> I guess, in order to distract myself from the problem of being locked down here my brain will turn back to the reason that i came down here and one thing at a time i'll figure out why dr mason what happened to dr mason then i'll deal with the other problems and i'll go back over to the slab and try and and finish rolling down the sheet at least below the head like i'm kind of i think what i'm hoping is that as it comes down he will clearly have been bludgeoned in the head. The end. Right. Yeah, now that's an interesting point. I think... So I think I have an answer for you there. So firstly, when you roll down the sheet, it is clearly Dr. Mason. You recognise him. Although... Have you ever seen a dead body before? Well, I, I saw a murdered man in a lighthouse a couple of days ago. Before that, probably not. Hmm. Well, the murdered man in the lighthouse was in a very different uh, situation yeah. and disposition. Mm-hmm. Um, the The body on the slab is, it is Dr. Mason, but it also kind of looks wrong. I mean, like, it's only because you know you're looking for Dr. Mason mm. that you recognize it as Dr. Mason. It just looks kind of saggy and... But you know, cold, cold, and and pale, and like a a weird shade of pale, like grey, and the 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 contours of the body look strangely wrong, like almost like you can see the bones protruding. But maybe that's just what a dead body looks like. So yeah, you you pull the sheet down and you see a a wound in the chest. I'm going to ignore the wound in the chest just long enough to pull out the book. Right. And do a compare and contrast with the photo. Yeah. You know, the photo looks like your memory of what Dr. Mason looked like when he was alive. It doesn't quite look like this guy. Kind of, sort of, mostly. It it looks like him. It just looks... How can I put it? It's like if somebody had made a very good clay model mm-hmm. of Dr. Mason. Very convincing, but it's still, you know, it's not quite right, as you would expect from a clay model. Right. I'm not saying that it looks like he's made out of clay, just to be clear, I'm making an analogy. <laughs> yeah. I think by at this point, Jonathan's breath is probably all through his mouth and and short, He's taking short breaths without realizing he was doing it. Yes, and it's chilly in here. Your breath is coming out yeah. a little steamy, I think. Right. Okay, it's time to steal myself and look at this wound. 
What was he stabbed? Was he? Yes, it looks like he might have been stabbed. It's a sort of slit-shaped wound. Is it blood, or has it been cleaned? Well, there isn't blood. It's okay. probably been cleaned, but maybe there just never was any. All right, I think I, I think I, I think Jonathan half can't believe he's he's just about to do this, but <laughs> he's going to reach up and poke the skin of Doctor Mason around that wound. <laughs> I don't know what he thinks is going to happen. It just feels like this is what he should be doing at this moment. Okay. Nice. So I suspect that there is like a, a noise, like a clock chiming, just as you touch the wound, just to give you a bit of a, a feeling of an alarm or a jolt. Jonathan jumps and then takes a deep breath through his nose, regrets it, um, and finishes the motion. Yeah, okay. The skin around the wound is soft, yielding. Does it? If if I press against it with my fingers and then take them away, does it hold its shape? <laughs> so here's what I think happens. I think as you exert extra pressure on the, so where exactly are you pressing? Right next to the wound. I think right next to I, it, this, this. Jonathan is for the moment. He believes himself to be a, a supremely competent man. Just somewhat unlucky, perhaps misunderstood. And he is currently doing what he thinks a doctor would do to investigate a body because, Mm. I mean, if the doctor can understand in response to these kinds of actions, then surely I can. Yes. All right. But he's never seen a doctor do anything like this, so. Well, you reach out, you press down, you feel the, the soft yielding but cold flesh of Dr. Mason, so you press a little harder, and when you do that, the flesh of the of Dr. Mason's chest just gives way under your hand. It sort of folds inwards, and although this room is lit, it the the positioning of the light and the angle you're standing at leaves it kind of dark, so that as you press down and the chest just sort of falls inward you see a kind of dark void around where the wound was. I think Jonathan kind of reacts immediately. He, he probably says, dear Lord, or something, and, and stumbles backwards from the body. What's going through his head in this moment is, did I screw up that action? Have I broken his ribs or somehow damaged the corpse? It's definitely uh, forensically <laughs> very bad. <laughs> Not, not. That's not what I'm worried about. It, well, it sort of is. He's not worried about contaminating a crime scene or anything like that. He's just, it's, it's. I may have done something wrong here. Mm, yeah. But it stumbles away from the body, and decides that now is when he will address the second of the two problems, and try and get out of here again. Right. Okay. <laughs> will you go back to the door and, and uh, try the door? I mean, it's it's still locked. And your hands have started to get quite cold now. It's it's quite cold down here. Huh. They're not quite kind of numb, but the, you are your sen- the sensation in your fingers is reduced, and it just feels it's quite hard to really rattle the door. It it, it, it almost feels like you might hurt yourself. Um, I'll drop to my haunches and look at the keyhole. 
yes. Okay. What are you hoping to, to see here? I don't know, but but what I think I'm... I can't force the door. No. So maybe I can do something with that lock. Mm. There's no other way out of here that I can see, and I just want to get out of here. Well, as so as you look through the lock, you hear voices outside, but they're not voices that you recognise. You also, which is the reverse of normal, you feel the tiny breeze breeze of warmth coming through the keyhole to compare with the freezing cold in the room. Just to remind you what warmth is actually like. I'm going to call out. Hello? Is is anyone out there? I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in the... I'm, I'm down here. The voices stop when you when you call out. And then you you think you can hear somebody talking again, but it's very low voices now. And it's a thick door. You're right next to the key keyhole. You're hmm. just sort of hearing a little something coming through. You can't hear what they're saying. And then you hear a voice by right by the door say, Be quiet in there. Who is that? It's it's Jonathan Cochran. Uh, keep your voice down. I'll keep my voice down when you let me out of here. That crazy old bat upstairs has locked me in. She's locked you in. You don't have a key. No, I don't have a key. I see. There's one on the hook upstairs. Go and get it. Let me out. Now, think very carefully. Where exactly is the key? It's it's upstairs. In, 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 inside the front door, there's a series of hooks. Yes. It's, it's one of those keys. The, the one to the, to the morgue that I am in. Look, just get the doctor or something. Who are you? Calm yourself. You say there are, there's more than one hook. Which one has the correct key on it? Good lord, man, I don't know. It's been, uh, Ask the doctor. Ask that crazy old bat. D- just, just get me out of here. All right, all right. Wait here. Quickly now. And the voice goes away. And you're left alone for a little while. Do you want to do anything while you are waiting to see whether this person comes back? I do. In the seconds after the voice goes away, you hear what sounds like a sort of flutter of fabric behind you. But when you turn around, everything is as it should be. I do. There is something I want to do. I'm going to try every key I've got in my pocket in this lock. Oh, for God's sake, Jonathan. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe it's an old crappy lock and any old key will do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't really know the likelihood of that. I'm thinking Haven't you got a magic key? Very high. You have got that special key. Do you try that one? Sure. Every key I've got. Okay. Well, after a, after a time, you've tried all of your keys and you're starting to feel very frustrated. Um, none of them seem to be working. I'm getting very cold. Probably drop a couple of the keys while because my hands are so cold. Somebody speaks next to the door now. Did you say you did tell them your name, didn't you? I did, yeah, absolutely. Mr. Cochrane, please stand back from the door. Stand well back. Oh, thank goodness. And I'll scurry backwards from the door and dust myself off. Right. You hear a key turn in the lock and the door swings open and there is a woman, but not the woman who you met before, not Mrs. Cranston. It's a pinched-looking, 
older woman with her hair drawn back in a rather severe way, and she is pointing a pistol at you. I think Jonathan will say, what on earth are you doing? Now, Mr Cochrane, you've got mixed up in things that you shouldn't have. Put your hands in the air, please. I mean, he'll, he'll put his hands in the air, but this is a dead body. What could I be mixed up in? I just need to check the rules for a second about what I can do here. I'm allowed to threaten you with deliberate harm, aren't I, but not actually harm you, is that right? Yeah. I suppose I can still call you ac- cause you accidental harm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, by shooting a surgical equipment and it bouncing off and hitting him in the forehead, doesn't I think that she will walk into the a little further into the room and behind her will come a rather imposing looking gentleman, that's the word I'm looking for, in a bowler hat. He's got a thick neck. Uh, I've definitely not seen either of these two before. I don't believe that you have, no. Okay. I think Jonathan will say again, what is going on here? I, I came down here to clear an innocent man's name, and now you're pointing a gun at me. This is this is outrageous. She smiles at you thinly, and she says, yes, this is all rather unfortunate. I can see why, from your perspective, this would be confusing and difficult for you. She turns to the man and says, I think you should take Mr. Cochrane to a place of safety, don't you? And the man sort of grunts. Mm. Come on now, Mr. Cochrane. Time to leave. Jonathan will probably just say, "Yes, I think I think that's a very excellent idea." Okay. Well, I think the big man kind of takes you by the arm, and it's kind of it's strange. He's got you in a grip that is gentle in a way, and yet you can feel it's utterly vice-like. There's no possible way you can escape from it. I think Jonathan will protest, but not too hard. Like. Mm. You know, come on, man, that's unnecessary. I'm coming with you. Don't just... Okay, he's going to lead you out of the room. But as he does, you glance over your shoulder and you see the woman standing over the body of Dr. Mason and she is putting her hand into the cavity that your earlier actions opened up. Jonathan will definitely retch when he sees that. And what what then happens is the man walks with you away from the cottage quite briskly hmm. and then takes a sharp turn towards the top of the cliff. And for a moment, you're worried that he's going to push you over. Uh, and then you see a path, like a little sort of stairway thing carved into the side of the cliff. And and you can also see the lighthouse below. And we can start the journey into darkness. Super. And now I have to write down the clue, which is... In your own words. I'm on tenterhooks for this clue. It's a complicated clue, isn't it? Is it, though? I thought I had lots of plot threads dropping all over the place. I mean, that is just like zip-zap-zoo. Where's this going? So the clue is, is Dr. Mason's body appears to be... Squishy. Yes. Yeah, so what's the word for this? I want to write hollow, but that's that's maybe slightly overstating it. Oddly structured. <laughs> gelatinous. No, gelatinous is too far as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, I, I want to leave it open so that you can interpret it in different ways, because I have a clear interpretation in my mind, but it might not be the same as yours. It appears to be oddly structured, and a strange woman reaches her hand inside the body. Those are the key points of the clue, I think. Well, I thought I, I thought I double clued. <laughs> Come on, that's all one clue. Those are all. If you say it of... fast enough, it is. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you could replace the end a with um, uh, which you know because a strange. <laughs> <laughs> so we're we're not not we're not one hundred percent sure who any of those people were. Although, the, did the woman say she was Mrs. Cranston? Or... So the, the woman who answered the door before was Mrs. Cranston. The woman right. who came to with the gun was someone else. Was someone else. someone else. Definitely a different person. That's not to say she okay. couldn't be Mrs. Cranston. Maybe the first woman was lying. But uh... I mean, we're all Jonathan Cochran. We are all Jonathan Cochran. Right, Cochrane. exactly. Maybe she's Jonathan Cochran. She's like being John Malkovich. <laughs> Cochran, Cochran, Cochran. <laughs> Do I? That'd be a do I? Ending. Are there are there reflections for me? Do I reflect as I'm being dragged off to the? I think you should do some brief reflections before you are dragged off, and then we can have many more on the way down. Yeah. So, <laughs> I think that Cochrane's reflections come in the form of a series of increasingly frantic attempts to get the big guy to communicate with him as he's dragged to the to the cliff edge and the path down. Oh, you mean the guy who's dragging you? When you said the big guy, I thought you meant, oh, God. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, in this He's moment. Faith. <laughs> yeah. I, was like, hmm. I think it's a series of increasingly desperate um, who are you peoples then an attempt at the police know that I'm chasing up, I'm following up on, on the, the death of Dr. Mason. You won't get away with this. Where are you taking me? And so the 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 reflection is this I have Jonathan has no idea what's happening and he's terrified and desperately hoping that this other human being will provide him with some meaningful answers. Uh needless to say, none are forthcoming. Mm. Right. Have I ruined everybody's conclusions? Completely fucked mine. Yes. <laughs> I'm just trying to work out if I could crowbar crowbar mine in. Mine are absolutely intact. Excellent. I actually, I, I shouldn't have said yes. It's not good for me to ruin people's conclusions. I mean, how how convoluted are these expected to be? Like, ex- <laughs> well, extremely? I will show or... you mine at the end, and then you will understand how convoluted <laughs> it can get. I believe you okay. can make them as convoluted as you like, as long as they make sense to you. Okay. Oh, they have to make sense. Oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> Bit of a rewrite required. It's an Eldritch horror story so yeah this is true <laughs> up to a point Be- becky's putting herself into the position of final horror this is very exciting it'll be a first final the horror. reason why i had to rewrite my conclusions before this session was because i realized that my conclusions that i had written while they made a perfectly coherent story they didn't really explain everything and it didn't quite fit with the facts so i had to make it a bit more convoluted to make it fit with the facts i'm trying to try to square the circle between reginald's death and Dr. Mason's death at this point, because they're quite different. That, that's exactly that's exactly the point, Ed. That's, yeah. It was your last scene that would made my conclusions didn't really make any sense anymore. <laughs> Whereas it's yours, Josh. Damn it. That's... <laughs> this, is, this is an escalation. It's going to be so interesting at the end to see whether by having these weird little 
hairpin turns, whether we end up closer together or further apart. Hmm. I was fine with Reginald and Mason until now. Yeah. Now they've got like different death things. It's a bit like... I mean, you don't know that if you had pressed on Reginald's chest, it wouldn't have done the same thing. That's true. Yeah, but, well, I, I realise we also don't know that he wasn't stabbed, but... Yeah. No, that's a good point. Let's carry on playing Collapse This Waveform. Let's do that. Well, we first everyone has to finish leaping to conclusions. I've got to leap to conclusions here by, like... Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> and leaping is it's either a very big leap. <laughs> it's vaulting at this yes. point. <laughs> it's evil Knieveling <laughs> So I'll read I think It's my turn to read if you Oh if yes you... you're right it probably is So yeah page Now it really is page 19 Yes the journey into darkness Correct Okay We are now starting a new and different chapter of the game Called the journey into darkness This is a single extended scene In which the main character moves closer to the final horror this could be a physical journey, but it could also be a dream sequence or psychological journey, if that makes sense given the story so far. During the journey into darkness, we no longer have separate narrator, witness, and whisperer roles. Instead, we take turns to narrate a little bit of the main character's journey. The first player will say just a few sentences of description and then pass the first player token clockwise for the next player to do the same. On your turn, you can choose whether you describe the environment, the main character's fears and rationalizations, or elaborate on what the previous player described. As we do this, we'll build up a growing darkness and tension, which will eventually lead to the climactic end of the story. We don't introduce new clues during the journey into darkness. It may feel pretty weird, but it's about building up a sense of doom and anticipation, not revealing new information about the horror. From the 13th turn onwards, we can end the journey, and that means on your turn, you can choose to describe the main character arriving at a dark, isolated, ancient, or creepy location where the final horror can happen. If we get to the 16th turn, then we have to do this. And Nick, you are about to receive the first player token, and will therefore do the first turn of the journey's darkness. Okay, so the thick-necked man manoeuvres... Jonathan, to the to the path leading down from the top of the cliff towards the ocean, which is turning stormy. The 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 skies are um, darkening quickly, as can so often happen by the sea, as a storm rolls in uh, and pushes as he manoeuvres Jonathan down onto the first of these crumbling steps down the side of the cliff. Um, the booming sound of the ocean crashing against the the cliffs below suddenly becomes overwhelmingly loud. It's not immediately clear where the steps lead until Jonathan sees a dark space, even darker than the surroundings, that the steps seem to disappear into quite close to where the waves are crashing below him. It looks about head height, so he can only assume it's some kind of cavern or cave as they're making their way down, the sea is illuminated which by uh, what he assumes is the lighthouse light beam coming on. There is a, a slick of decomposing seaweed on the floor, which is both dangerously slippery 
indicates that the tide does come up this high occasionally and smells like something from beyond the grave. So as you sort of push against the large man as he sort of presses you into the cavern which runs deeper and underground you realize that it's futile to to kind of resist his physical presence as the darkness envelops you you feel your way against the wall to steady yourself and your fingers make out carved geometric patterns in the wall Jonathan's mind is racing with questions at this point. Who is this, this monster of a man? Who is the woman who he so readily answers to? What do they want with him? What do they want with Dr. Mason? And why on earth are they taking him down this cliff path? The questions are rapidly eclipsed as he progresses closer to the cave entrance. It's it's dark in this tunnel, and yet somehow the opening ahead that the large man is manoeuvring Jonathan towards seems even darker still, and suddenly Jonathan's panic rises, and he, he throws his weight against the man behind him, a, a last desperate attempt to... to push him over to get past to get back out to the light before he's driven into this even darker space but the the figure behind him is is immovable it's it doesn't even shift uh, as he throws himself against it the man tightens his grip on jonathan and he begins to hum a tune just under his breath it sounds strangely familiar and jonathan is pulled back to his time in the nursery and his nanny would sing him old sea shanties. It does not comfort him. As the sea shanty echoes down the cavern, the singing, whether it reverberates or whether the singer changes the tune, but it becomes suddenly very reminiscent of the songs that he heard at the hotel spa where he had gone for his wellness retreat. They descend the last few steps when they reach the bottom. And his feet press against spongy, damp moss, squelches with sea water, presumably. And he thinks to himself, perhaps, perhaps this is some sort of test my father set me. Perhaps, perhaps at the other end of here, my father will be there, welcoming me back to London. Perhaps I'll be safe and sound. There's sort of tears of desperation well up in his eyes. It'd be an amazing final horror. <laughs> the um, ceiling here is low and uneven, and Jonathan is forced to stoop in a most uncomfortable position, which he's unused to, and. A couple of times he bangs his head against the the rough, cold stone of the ceiling before he gets used to needing to keep his head down low. The book that he found in the library, as he's stooping over, 
falls out of the, the his jacket pocket and lands on the, the spongy, damp ground beneath him. And he has a, a momentary panic about the loss of a, a library book that he needs to return. But the figure behind him it drives him forward and he tramples over the book as he goes, tearing its pages and driving it into the to the spongy ground as he is, is forced inexorably forward. His stomach lurches as an absolutely repulsive smell envelops him from whatever lies in front it's it's it sticks to him it's like it's a solid blanket of smell that he can't it's this fetid rotten odor he can barely breathe jolly cochran takes a few steps forward and the thug of the smell suddenly clears and he opens his eyes he had been stumbling with them closed and there laid out before him is a terrifying underwater sea cavern lit with the faint sickly glow of phosphorus but with a sense of something more ancient than it had any right to be down here and that's it. I've pushed us over the threshold and I'm going to play a card. <gasps> oh, no, she did. She did play a card. <laughs> you, could do it, that you could do that? I don't think I've ever done that. Thank you for listening to Black Armada Tales. We've been playing Lovecraft Desk 2nd Edition by Josh Fox and Becky Anderson. Lovecraft Desk will be coming to a crowdfunding platform near you later this year. You can also find the first edition on blackarmada.com. And if you'd like to keep an eye out for the second edition, you may want to sign up to the Black Armada mailing list. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. See you next time. Actually, they've they've finally finally got me to pin it to a date, and I'm going to be giving an astronomy talk at work. That's so, so cool. Why are you giving an yeah. astronomy talk for us? I mean, yeah. I can if you want. Uh, I can give you the yes, same talk. Practice your talk on us. I've done it before, but I, I do it for us. We'll do a Slack. How long does your talk last? We'll do a special Slack night, and you can do it's an astronomy like forty-five minutes. <gasps> we should totally do this, questions. everybody. I'm going to arrange this now. We do it for us. I'm like, <laughs> would it yeah, annoy you if I asked you questions about star signs? Uh, no, I'm, I'm a highly trained professional. Uh, the first thing I would say is, that's an excellent question. While I'm stalling for enough time to figure out what question I'm going to answer instead of the one you asked. You need to place el- electrocution bands on my wrist. Prior What's your to rising sign, Ed? Uh, <laughs> I do know this because my mum's a hippie. I forgot, I've got my star chart in a box. I'm a hippie and I have a star chart and I can tell you what What's my, my rising sign? sun, moon and rising are. Sorry, Nick. I should just because it's bullshit doesn't mean it's not interesting. <laughs> Nick, yeah, in the Guardian, like roughly a week ago, mm. there was an article about how they'd found evidence of galaxies mm. that were too big. Mm. Did you see this one? I did. I didn't. I haven't read the papers. I was just curious what you thought about it. Yeah, I don't know. So the the oh, this is a whole other conversation. Mm. Y-
one never knows when you're reading an article in the newspaper whether yeah. it's actually a killer bit of data or if it's just slightly weird. Um, <laughs> and the paper will be tell you. And the, the poor old scientist who spoke to the university's press office will have labored the point that this is slightly strange, but, you know, could be this, could be that, could be the other. Uh, and by the time it gets to the paper, it's it's an, it's it's always an Einstein killer. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, but, so I don't know, but it might be. I mean, the, massive galaxies in the very young universe is a problem for how we understand how galaxies get built. Right. So if they're seeing them, then magic, right? It's bullshit. Magic's real. <laughs> yeah, definitely that. Just deny it. Maybe we're a pocket universe and Warhammer 40k universe is the real <laughs> universe. It's an ancient universe and we're a pocket universe to try and kind of... Uh, I, I am a fascism. large, early galaxy denier at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> That's where You're I'm a rich. large, early galaxy denier. Yes, the Earth is round or whatever. The sun, <laughs> etc. I'm covered. I'm getting down with that. But this galaxy thing, this is a, is a step too far. Hang on, can we? If we've got, just, if you've got one second, always, I can give you a teaser. If I can share a screen, do I have to lie backward, back it in the dark to watch it? Like, this is space. Space is big. It's really space. big. You the think, final frontier. You think it's a long way down to the chemist, <laughs> but that's just peanuts in space. <laughs> Hang on. Do you say that in your talk? You Ed? should do. Uh, space is space big. Is big. <laughs> I mean really big. No, I don't say that. Please say that. I will pay you five pounds. <laughs> can't it won't it won't let me it won't let me share a screen. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I guess you can't do it. Yeah, I'll have to figure that out sometime. You get no teaser. Sorry. That's okay. I will arrange a special Slack astronomy night. In fact, that reminds me, Josh, we should go to a local observatory. Yes, you yes. should. It's f- a five-minute walk around the corner. The you Chesterfield Observatory. Is it not it's even not two even minutes? That. The Chesterfield Observatory, and they're open to the public from 8pm on they Friday night. a very high hill. You can almost see it from the bottom of you our garden. You can almost see it from the bottom of our garden. And we've never been, and we're fools. I actually think it'd be better to go out to the peaks uh, after dark on a clear night. Really? Because I think it'd be better to go two minutes down the road where they've got a massive giant telescope. I know, but the giant telescope, it's not that giant, is it? And it I... How do you know? You've never been in there. It's got a whole massive domed what? building that it lives in. I, I understand that things can't really be larger on the inside than the outside, what? so I do have some concept of how big it must be. Hmm. Whatever. So but we should also place. go out to the peaks in the middle of the night when it's totally dark. Where would be the best place to go, do you think? Kerber? Do you not think there'd be loads of light from the Hope Valley? There's probably like a dark sky guide somewhere, isn't there? I, I think that's where Surprise View has got some sort of dark sky thing going you on. You could probably go to the, it, a, the observatory around the corner and ask them where the best place to... That's a good point. Yeah, that, I'd love to see you do that. Go to an observatory, say, "Where's the best place to look at stars?" <laughs> <Where's that> right? <laughs> they'll say, "They'll say Chile, yeah. Hawaii." Not if they just like looked around and just went, 
Sorry. Really stars here, mate. We don't believe in stars. <laughs> I think the thing about Surprise View that bothers me a bit is that it's a little bit of a scramble to get up to the top, and I'm not sure how much I fancy doing that and coming back down again in the dark. Just bring a torch. Mm. I suppose you've got a couple of headlight lamps. That'll probably do it. Bring a torch and a space hopper. <laughs> we should do it, though. Or just like put lights on your arms and your legs and you just walk down the hill. <laughs> we should yeah. have a midnight space picnic up at Surprise View. I think we should. Yeah, we should. We do could that bring a, a tent and just like wild camp, sleep in the tent. Yeah, is that is it slang for like taking loads of drugs or something? Like, <laughs> midnight space. Midnight space. Picnic. <laughs> I think that for somebody that probably is what it would mean, but I'm a total nerd, so for me it would <laughs> mean an actual picnic, looking at actual stars. Well, we could do both. Yeah, yeah. I could good. just like. <laughs> In the background, while you're looking at the stars. 